Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Pishak Michal Martin has described the new MICA redress scheme as an unprecedented state intervention which would cost 2.2 billion euro and would cover 6 to 7,000 properties. Housing Minister Dara Bryan said it's important that family homes are prioritised and fixed first under the scheme. This has been traumatic and continues to be for people and that's why it's important we're able to move on with the new and improved scheme where people can see real light and real hope at the end of the tunnel. New rules for schools, children in third class and up will have to wear a face mask. Head of University Hospital Limerick's ICU department, Dr Catherine Motherway, joins us with a Christmas warning for those out socialising. Big names dragged into Ghislaine Maxwell's sex trafficking trial. US correspondent for the Business Post, Marion McKeown, will bring us the very latest from there. And later, actor Paul Byram on why he hopes parents We'll choose Panto over playdates this Christmas season. You can get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. campaigners say the devil's in the detail after a new plan was unveiled by government to help thousands of homeowners impacted by the scandal. Under the deal, people will be able to claim €145 Euro per square foot of the affected property, with the grant capped at €420,000. The government has put the cost of the scheme at €2.2 billion. Euro. Well, joining me here in studio is Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, Sinn Féin TD, Podrick McLaughlin, and via Skype tonight by MICA Action Group, PRO, Michael Doherty. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, I want to come to you first. Michael, um, you are one of the affected homeowners. Um, as we heard, the devil is in the detail on this. 2.2 billion euro, 420,000 euro uh, per household. What do you make of it? Yeah, I think it's, uh, again, sounds very, very good. And I wish we had what you've just described there. Um, what we have instead is a scheme where the average home is going to fall about 65,000 euro short. The average home, €65,000 short. That's what the homeowner has to find. How we can uh, reconcile that with 100% redress, I think we're somewhat short of the mark. That said, we have belief that there is a lot in this scheme that could actually work. It has been soured by what looks like a last-minute intervention here with a sliding scale on the square foot rate, which unfortunately causes the problems that we now have. If they remove that that slide and scale in the square foot rate, we actually have something we might be fit to work with for the first time. That and the issue of holiday homes, which have been left aside as well unfairly. But this, this, this scheme was more right than wrong. But until this slide and square foot intervention that they've put in here, which is not an SCSIE 
sliding scale. That's something that the housing department has bolted on. Okay. The, um, it, 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 that alone makes the scheme unworkable. Okay, so you're saying that surveyors don't um, judge a property that way, although the government is saying that's the way it's done. So the likes of 145 euro per square foot, then after 1,000 feet, it goes down to a lesser amount. Um, but you're not happy about that. No, if you go onto the SCSI calculator, which any of your viewers can do, they'll find that if they enter a home 1,700 square feet for our region, it comes up right now at 138 euro because they're old figures from April. If you put in a home at 4,000 square feet, it still comes in at 138 euro a square feet. So what you have is an SCSI figure, and what you have then is the housing department looking at that and extrapolating what they believe should be an economy of scale. And if you talk to any of the quantity surveyors out there, this okay. is highly peculiar behaviour, what we have done. OK, I just want to get the Minister's reaction to that. We, we've heard about this now from Michael, um, that government will be saying that they got advice from surveyors and they went to the official body on this. But he's saying that that's not really the case and that's not what surveyors are finding, that the sliding scale is not really applicable. Well, well, first of all, uh, Michael's right in relation to the detail being really important here. Um, and that's why we took so much time uh, in relation to trying to get this right and trying to cover all the angles and make sure that the, the scheme is comprehensive and that it's fit for a purpose and will stand the test of time over the years ahead. That was the challenge and the key difficulty in relation to the last scheme is one we wanted to avoid this time around. Key to that as well, Claire, was the, the Taoiseach and Minister for Housing putting together the working group with homeowner representatives on it to tease out these issues. Now, in relation to the uh, announcement today, we have, we have tried to give as much detail as possible. There are many many good things in it. Uh, the square foot rate is really important. Um, what is what it's based on for this year at the moment is based on the announcement, the cost announcements as of the start of 2021 uh, through the, the Chartered Surveyors of Ireland. That the, a, key, a key aspect of the scheme is that that will be updated every year as those costs are updated. As we know, Claire, over the course of this year, there's been significant movement in relation to building inflation, in relation to building materials, etc. That is being assessed and, and will be... That assessment will be completed by the SBCSI and then will be updated um, by February of this incoming year. So then for next year, those updated costs reflecting what's happen happened through 2021 will come into play. And importantly, every year after that, the scheme will update to reflect the costs of the okay, day then as so well. So the sliding scale idea where after a thousand square foot and what Michael's saying is most, the average home I think is two and a half thousand square foot um, in that area of Donegal. You're saying that that surveyors have cleared that. But Michael no. is saying that's not no, the case. No, what, what I'm very clearly... So who, who came I'm up with that figure? What, what is I'm it the housing department or is it the surveyor's body? So what I'm very clearly saying is that now that we're at the end of 2021, what the scheme is doing going forward is it's making sure that the, it's the assessment of the, of the Society of Chartered Surveyors every year that informs what the details and the costings of the scheme will be. That will be updated in February to reflect the increased inflation throughout the course of 2021. A key aspect in relation what to surveyors... I'm just confused. I'll, I'll There's a clear. lot of figures so at play yeah, here. So, I'll be, I'll so what be, does that mean? To be, to be clear, so well, it means basically clear that the scheme will update every year to reflect the cost of the day and that will happen this so February. To, you may 
maybe more. Yes, abso well, absolutely. So, so this, what's this figure of 145. I, th I think there, there, there's no, there's no doubt about that because that's based on the cost at the start of this year. But key to make sure the scheme is fit for purpose is that over the next See, number of years, it updates every year to reflect the building costs of the day. So you could the be first, giving more to homeowners well, than the 420k. Every year, every year, um, the costings will reflect the cost of building okay. and the cost. And indeed, in the future, where the cost of building to go down, that will be reflected in the years right. ahead as well. Okay, and that's, so a really important, that's a really important aspect of the scheme because this is going to be a scheme that's going to be with us for at least the next 10 years okay. and it has to be able to reflect and be be a genuine scheme over okay. the course of those years, reflective of the time um, that it's your, working. Your view on what's been announced? Well, the Minister's just plain wrong. Uh, see, in terms of the message that the government allowed to go out this weekend, was that the families uh, who have waited for years for justice... Remember, for your listeners uh, tonight, there are over 2,000 families in Dublin and North Leinster who have received 100% redress under the Pyrite Resolution Scheme. The housing agency manages that scheme from start to finish. You don't have to worry about negotiating with contractors. You don't have to worry about finding rental accommodation. The housing agency does all of that. Nobody accused the families in Dublin uh, of you know, doing anything wrong. Nobody talked about the price. Nobody talked about that. That was right and proper. Now, the problem is families in Donegal and the west of Ireland uh, are being asked to engage with building contractors themselves. Why is the housing agency not taking over the scheme in the west of Ireland? Now, I just but want to deal with... Just on that key yeah, figure, because yeah. they're, they're all talking about the figures tonight, and mm. on that €420,000, uh, is it enough? Now, just, just let me deal with this, this issue of the actual amount that families get, right? What families are getting are being offered in Donegal, Mayo in the west of Ireland, right? What they're what actually being offered uh, amounts to about 80% redress for the average home. So based on the square foot rate. Now, by the way, see the sliding scale that the government introduced at the 11th hour. Remember this morning, the campaigners this morning, when I was driving from Donegal to Dublin today, I thought we were going in to have a day of joy, a day of joy. We, we understood from the minister to the campaigners that it would be 145 euro or that ballpark. That was it, €145. Euro. What we learnt was this sliding scale, which has nothing to do with the, the Society of Chartered Surveyors of Ireland. Nothing to do with that. This is, a, this is a government Department of Housing intervention at the 11th hour, which is devastating families okay. in Donegal. 11, devastating them. An 11th hour so, intervention. Would no. you accept the, the, that? The, the, this is something that's been in, uh, worked on for, for uh, the, over the last number of weeks idea. and two months. All of, all of it, Claire. Now, if Podrick had particular ideas and Sinn Féin had particular ideas about how the scheme should operate, it was perfectly open to them to actually actually make that submission to the government. In fact, the Minister for Housing asked them two months ago for their specific views on how the scheme should operate and got no response at all. So it's a bit rich for them to be uh, making suggestions tonight after the event. But can I be clear, uh, in relation to the, 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 the amendments that are made to this scheme um, and, and in relation to Pyrate that was there on the East Coast, there's significant improvements in this scheme. For Charlie, can I ask you a question? Charlie, just one question. Can I ask you a question? question? I want to finish my point first of all, Parry. Yeah. In relation to rental accommodation, for example, which wasn't accommodated before, we have €20,000 there now, €15,000 max for rental, €5,000 max maximum for storage. Okay. Homeowners can bring a principal private residence and a rental accommodation okay. in. And right, Charlie, can I ask you a question? Charlie, something that, which was something can, that can I ask you a straight question, Charlie? You, 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 you yeah. say you're the voice of Donegal in the cabinet, right? Is it right that families in Donegal will pay €65,000 towards the average house that has to be demolished and knocked down, but families in Dublin and North Leinster did not have to contribute one cent? 
Now, you're the voice of Donegal. Is that right, and, Minister? And, Is it right? And, and I, I've worked and continue to... I've worked massively hard to deliver this scheme and, indeed, to ensure it's a scheme that's fit for a purpose. Indeed, as a voice for Donegal, Parik, it was open to you to make your submission in terms of how you thought the scheme should okay. operate. Uh, you, haven't answered the you haven't answered the question. You haven't answered the question. I say, I and to, to, just to answer, to answer that... Because answer, he's not the Minister, in fairness. No, but he could have made his suggestions. But to, to, yeah, to but answer, it's not to 100% answer, redress, is it? To answer the question... And that's what you have What we've outlined today... Is, is, is figures based on what the 2021 SBCI figures are, which was outlined at the start of this year. That's not true. That will be updated. It's just not true. It is true. That's not that true. There's updated. no slide to scale. That will be updated. That will be updated. That will be updated at the start in February 2022 to reflect what happened in terms of inflation over the course of this year and every year thereafter to ensure that this is a scheme that's reflective of what's happening in the market and that's reflective in each year going forward of what's happening in the market okay. as well. M Michael, I want to bring you in here. You've heard what the Minister has had to say. Um, it'll be looked at again and reflected on because of inflation and, uh, and the rest of that. What do you think about what the Minister is saying, the message you are expecting to receive today and overall whether people will accept this at this point because this has been going on for years and I'm sure you're very anxious to get your homes rebuilt. Absolutely, Claire. And um, the reality is we welcome the fact this index linked. We think that's very good and uh, we, we'll, we'll not argue that in the slightest. The problem is that there's a model here that's not going to work. So Charlie can say we're going to review the SCSI figures come February time or April time, whatever time they do it. That's fine. So they change the number up from 145 to 160, right, let's say. And they still apply this sliding scale, which is concocted by the housing department. It's still not going to work. It's not going to work now. It's not going to work in February. It's not going to work next year. It's not going to work in 10 years' time. Because what it does is cost the average homeowner in the region of €65,000, which is completely unattainable. So how can anyone say we got a 100% redress scheme today? There's one problem, one problem only. Remove the sliding scale that should okay. never have been there and we have something we can work with. Okay, look, look you've look, heard a clear... I mean, yeah. this has been... And you've been talking about this for months and we had the protest back at the start of the summer when homeowners came down in their busloads to demand uh, redress and 100% redress. You said you'd work hard on it. You're very aware of your constituents in Donegal there. They're not happy. So what's going to happen? The key thing, following on from Michael's point there, Claire, the key thing is that the costs are reflective of what's happening in the market. <coughs> Excuse me. And that will be updated on February to reflect what's happened over the course of 2021. In terms of a sliding scale approach, that was something that was discussed by the working group, which Michael was a member of as well. The actual working, pro the working group itself proposed a sliding scale that after the first 1,700 square foot that you'd have a lower figure for the remaining... Se the 1,700. Remain now, that this was is, a, it was decided a to do it, it at 1,000 yeah, It was a different sliding foot. scale, but it was the same principle and recognition of the fact... But, it, that it, as a, but the key thing here is, Claire, that the costs are updated to reflect what happens each year. Uh, this will now require legislation to be put in place which will happen in the first quarter of, of, of next year. By the time that legislation is in place we will have had the updated figures from the SBCSI as to what the inflation was throughout 2021 and that will then be factored in and importantly not only uh, at the start of next year yeah. but at the start yeah, of every I know, year I, thereafter. And I know, that's a, I know that's a key message of yours. Um, 
Now, Porik, on, on this issue, and a lot of people will be watching who maybe mm -hmm. aren't, like, who aren't mm -hmm. affected by, by homes and, and the huge issue that's facing people in Donegal, Mayo and other parts of the country. But they may look at that and they say, you know, that's an awful lot of money, 2.2 billion euro being committed. Um, the Taoiseach says it's unprecedented state intervention on this. There are other players here who we don't know are going to fork out anything in regard to this and 420,000 per house is a lot. What would you say oh, to that? Oh, Indeed, I mean, the, the building insurance and construction industries should all be asked to contribute to this scheme. Uh, so there's no doubt about that. But just to be clear again, in Dublin and North Leinster, over 2,000 families receive 100% redress. The housing agency manages that scheme from start to finish. Now, if the government are serious about this being 100% redress, as they claim, why not ask the housing agency to take over the scheme in Donegal, Mayo and the West of Ireland. Take over the scheme. Take responsibility. Why are you asking, can I ask this question, why is the government asking traumatised families to go out and engage with building contractors at a time when building costs are going through the roof, inflation is okay. going through the roof? Please. It's just cruel and it's wrong. Briefly, but it's please. not asked of people in Dublin and North Leinster. It's wrong. Briefly, Minister, I just want to get your yeah, there, there was a to that. There was a total of over 2,000 homes remediated under the Pyrite scheme, which started in 2012-2013 and is just finishing now. We're going to have at least 7,000 homes to be remediated between Donegal and Mayo and whatever else comes after that. We want this work to go on. We want it to be as practical and as effective as possible. We thankfully already have homes getting remediated in Donegal. We need to push on and see that happen more in a way that is as, as, has as little bureaucracy as possible. That's why we're taking this approach, not burdening it down by putting one agency in charge of delivering every single house. We wanted right. to move on, uh, but we also so, so want to ensure... that's good enough for the people the, of the East Coast, also, but not the West Coast. We, we, we want, Are they second-class citizens in Donegal, Charlie? Are they second-class citizens? Seriously? Again, Is this where we are there here? There wasn't a word out of them in advance of the scheme being put. They had no proposals, no ideas, Because no we have nothing. full confidence and in the MICA campaigners no, and the campaigners you, in Mayo. You, you could, uh, we have full confidence in their policies and their objectives. Because it's about justice and fair play and decency and equal citizens no matter where you live in, in this island. In the same way, Claire, and, and, and the, the same, Minister, you need to pull back from this. Claire, you need same, to do what's right by your in people the same in, way, in, the same, in the same way as there wasn't a word in their manifesto, but Micah, there, there hasn't been a word in the last two months in terms of yeah. any proposals. We're putting in place a scheme and which, injustice, is, which is to be practical and, injustice, and, a profound and which will update year on year. Okay, I want to get a very brief last word with um, Michael on that. Michael Doherty, um, you know, heated words here tonight in studio. Will you, will you accept this at this point, if this is it from government now? No, I, I think we have something that needs said here. That 420k is a smokescreen that was a deliberate smokescreen put in there to hide the fact, or basically to put out a picture that Donegal homeowners were not happy at 420,000 to go and rebuild their homes. The reality is the square foot cap screws down the budget so far. Very, very few is going to see. Even the okay. biggest homes are not even going to trigger 420k. So that's that's an important point. But the other point that needs to be made in here as well, this is not just a Donegal deal. There is other five, five other affected counties down the western seaboard that will be affected by this. But the bottom line is it will not work for Donegal. It will not work for them other counties. Right. And until this sliding scale is removed, okay. we will be recommending our members not to avail of the scheme. It needs to go. All, all right. Well, we'll have to see um, where this scheme 
goes to from here. Um, and I want to thank Michael Doherty for joining us um, via Skype tonight. Uh, the rest of our panel are staying with us, but I just briefly want to turn to other news uh, now tonight. And three people have died uh, and six more were injured in a shooting uh, this afternoon at a high school in Oxford in Michigan in the US. And joining us now is US correspondent for the Sunday Business Post, Marion McKeown. Marion, what can you tell us about this high school shooting? Um, it was the Oxford High School, as you say, in Michigan. It's about an hour and a half north of Detroit. Uh, they, there's a 15-year-old boy in custody at the moment. As you said, three uh, people are, are dead. Uh, we know at least one or two students have been seriously injured. One of the students was apparently shot in the face. But as I say, the, the sheriff, um, the local sheriff, uh, said that the mm. suspect is in custody. He wasn't injured, and I think that that's pretty much what we know at the moment. The shooting happened around 6 o'clock Irish time, uh, and so news is still coming in. Uh, the students have been evacuated, and, okay. and parents obviously have been alerted. OK, thank you for bringing us up to date on that, Marion. Um, I want to move now to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. It's generating a huge amount of, of media interest on, on both sides of the Atlantic. We heard evidence today from a witness for the prosecution, a pilot, who flew scheduled flights for Jeffrey Epstein. What can you tell us about what he said? Yeah, you know, the, he was a witness for the prosecution, as you say. Um, he was the first witness today. There was a second witness, a, 40, uh, a woman who claimed she was 14 years old, actually 13 when she was first approached by Epstein and Maxwell. And uh, But firstly, the, the pilot, uh, his testimony was... Um, he, he claims that he worked for Larry Vizolsky. Uh, he claims he worked for Epstein for 25 years as his personal pilot. Mm -hmm. He flew what the plane that was known, widely known, as the Lolita Express. And it's one of the bizarre things about this trial, which I've been following closely, is where is the line between enabler and co-conspirator? Now, he says that he absolutely didn't know that the girls on it were underage. He says he never saw any sign of sexual activity on mm -hmm. the plane. And, you know, that he is that these girls, of whom there were hundreds, they were, you know, um, were all women. Now, and, and he, he made a claim that, you know, by his criteria, I'm paraphrasing here, that he regarded as women. Yeah. He said that he met the first um, victim to testify, who testified after him. She's, her, she's only being referred to as Jane. And the story of, of how okay. she came in touch with uh, Maxwell and uh, Epstein is really pretty tragic. She was a 12-year-old girl. Uh, her father died of leukemia uh, in the American mm. healthcare system. It's, it's so awful that the family went bankrupt. So the, her mother was a young widow with several children and her her parents or her family the following summer uh, paid for her to go to her relatives to go to a camp, an arts camp. Apparently she was a very talented singer and uh, in Michigan. Now Epstein was a benefactor of that arts camp, uh, a summer camp. And while she was there with her friends eating ice cream, she said Jeline Maxwell first approached her. Uh, she sat down beside her. They started chatting and then Epstein came along and he introduced himself and again the chatting continued and he said do I know your parents you're from Palm Beach oh what a coincidence and she said well my father died and he said well I think I know your mother then he asked her obviously in, in 93 94 mm. and kids didn't have mobile phones so he asked her for her mother's phone number 
she gave it to him and then he phoned her mother and asked him around for tea and that was the start of it he then became a benefactor of sorts where he said he'd pay her school fees fees for music lessons etc but in the meantime when she was just 14 she started going around there on her own and she says that maxwell was very clearly involved. She placed her right in the room when she was being sexually abused and also says that she partook in it. So it's pretty damning evidence for Maxwell. It was really harrowing to listen to her. Right, and, and we are we are likely to hear, it was six, six more weeks of this trial, we're likely to hear a lot more um, in the coming days and weeks. There we'll have to leave it. Absolutely. Marion McKeown, thank you for joining us tonight on okay. that. Thank you. And coming up after the break, the head of University Hospital Limerick's ICU department, Dr. Catherine Motherway, has a warning for those still out socialising in the lead up to Christmas. Stay with us. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Well, a little earlier, I spoke to the head of University Hospital Limerick's ICU department, Dr. Catherine Motherway, about the ongoing COVID crisis. I began by asking her about the current ICU situation nationally. So in terms of the ICU situation, approximately one third, over one third of ICU beds nationally are occupied by patients with COVID disease. So um, locally, we are in around similar to that figure. It goes up and down. It changes daily. Um, but roughly about between five and ten admission on each day to the ICUs around the country. And people who are sick with COVID remain in our ICUs quite unwell for quite a considerable period of time. So generally, they stay a, a, an average stay of about two weeks. So we are seeing continued admissions though it it had leveled off a little bit in in the last week but we still have continued admissions and we do need the rates of transmission in the community to fall so that we can continue to provide non-covid care to our, our our population as well as covid care and obviously as the cmo and all of our public health experts are saying vaccination and booster vaccinations and taking up those slots when you get them is very important and in addition, the non-pharmaceutical measures, which they, they refer to, which is essentially limiting your context, trying to work from home, wearing your mask, um, where required, hand hygiene, and um, ideally meeting people outside. Of course, we're hearing a lot in the last few days about this new variant that's been identified, um, the Omicron variant. What's your take on it? There is concern out there around it. Are you concerned? 
you'd have to be concerned about a virus that has changed and they tell us the spike protein has changed quite significantly. But I would be of the view that the non-pharmaceutical measures that we have described work for all of the variants. And over the next number of weeks, we'll find out more in terms of how it interacts with our vaccine already. And they will, and our virologists will work on that. And the pharmaceutical companies, they have to tweak our, our flu vaccine on a yearly basis. So this is not something I think that anybody thought would be a surprise. But I think it does remind us all that vaccine equity is really important. And viral transmission, every time viruses change, they can gain a little advantage. Mm -hmm. So driving down viral transmission worldwide by ensuring that we have vaccine equity is really, really important. There are decisions being made about cutting social contacts and um, children are being looked at in this regard and new measures are coming into place to cut contacts in the run up to Christmas, to introduce masks in school for children from third class upwards and indeed in other social settings. What's your take on that? Do you think that's necessary when you're working in ICU and you're seeing the numbers coming through those doors? Um, I work in an adult ICU and uh, fortunately COVID doesn't make children that ill, but obviously it has become, they're a group of people who haven't been vaccinated and transmission has increased in that group um, in the last number of weeks. So, and, and children are, are quite resilient, I think. Now, I'm not an expert in, I'm not, neither a teacher nor an expert in, in childhood um, illnesses, but I think given... I've seen many children going around the place with masks on. I, I think it's not an unreasonable thing to try and do, to try and reduce transmission, provided it's done sensitively and people work with parents and with children who are, you know, quite an intelligent group of, of young people. So I think that they will, like the rest of us have done, they, they, will, they have adapted and they've borne a lot in the last two years. Catherine, if you had a key message for people now in the run-up to Christmas, we're hearing from the likes of the ESRI that there's not a huge amount of evidence of behavioural change despite a rise in infections. So if you had something to say to people, what would you say now at this point in the year? We're facing into a period in time where we normally meet each other a lot. So if we have high rates of infection in the community and over the holiday period where there'll be a lot of intergenerational mixing, um, if we don't drive the rates of transmission down now, we may see... Um, increases in cases again in early January, which we don't we don't want to see. We, the healthcare service needs to work for people who have illnesses for whatever reason. And I think if we are vaccinated, get boosted, and try and limit your social contacts, um, prioritise those people that you'd like to meet and meet them as safely as possible. That, 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 that would be your message um, for people um, ahead of Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Catherine Motherway, head of the ICU at the Midwestern University Regional Hospital in Limerick. Well, the government has said that parents should aim to reduce socialisation indoors of children aged 12 and under for the next two weeks as part of efforts to stem the spread of COVID-19 in the community. Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnell-Logue is still here in Sinn Féin TD Pork McLaughlin. And joining us tonight is psychotherapist Joanna Fortune. You're very welcome along to the programme. Um, I just want to start on, on the, the issue around the mask uh, wearing, Minister. Um, the Department of Education has issued its guidance around it. This is for third class and upwards. Um, saying that those who do not comply or are not exempt for medical reasons may be denied entry to school. So this is clearly a requirement that could see children out of the classroom.
Well, I think what the department have done is they've extended the same situation that applies to for, in secondary schools to primary schools. But of course, the, the the reason for this advice and the reason for the public health advice is the the, the challenge and the risk around young young people and and particularly very young people at the moment. I think the age of um, nine to of, of five to twelve is actually the most infectious um, age group in, in the community at the moment. Thankfully, it's an age group that doesn't get particularly sick uh, normally from it, but they are the most infectious, so that's the reason for the advice. But listen, I know that schools will take a, a reasonable approach to this. Obviously, uh, over the next day or two, schools will be engaging with parents to ensure that, that uh, advice is given and parents have that opportunity to ensure that ch children do have masks yeah. and that we can actually get, get work it into schools oh, so okay. that... We do have a situation where maximum protection is okay. in place at there's that age group. A, there's been an awful lot around government messaging about, you know, taking responsibility. It's mm -hmm. up to parents to decide what to do in this regard. This is not being mandated. It, individual decision making comes to play here. But this clearly is not the message that we're getting tonight. It's more blunt. It's more rigid. It's more no, it's do not, it no. unless you've got a medical exemption. You no, it's not. not no, 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 it's not. I think, listen, our focus is on advising parents and the public health advice is that this is the right approach to take. It's for the best, it's in the best interest of the children and it's also in the best interest of their family at home and their, their, the elderly members of their family as well. And I've no doubt that parents will take that advice seriously and will work with their children to try and make this adjustment. And I've also no doubt that in schools, teachers and principals will work um, very um, sensibly with okay. it in the day, next day or two to, to, to allow it to bed in. Okay, uh, it is advice, as in it's not legally binding as such, Joanna, um, but this decision around masking and that warning to sort of comply unless there are reasons otherwise, um, what do you make of it? And also what Catherine Motherway said about the resilience that kids can show in adapting to new things that maybe it takes longer that for adults to do the same. I mean, there's some truth in all of this, and I, I take what you're saying that you've no doubt all of this will happen. I think parents are holding doubt actually this evening because it, you know, and of course we're in the middle of a pandemic, it's ever changing and ongoing, and, you know, we all know that things are going to change. But within that, children respond best to calm, clear, consistent messaging, especially from their adults in charge. So if you're a parent this evening hearing your child tomorrow will require a mask, that isn't a lead in time or any time to prepare them or to create or playfully approach, how will I introduce this idea that this is now part? And there are parents out there going, I can't get my child to wear a hat to school and now I have to get them to wear a mask. So uh, I would say to parents very clearly that this is something that we are all dealing with and addressing, but to focus on effort over outcome in the coming days because there hasn't been a lead in, to make a concerted effort around masks. But if your child you know, takes to it and gets out the door, no issue, fantastic. And if your child has a wobble with this, that's okay. They're allowed to wobble in the next few days as they adjust and get their head around this. And I think we have to approach this with patience and tolerance in that we are trying to encourage and promote this healthy behaviour in children, but we can't say they're going to high five us and go, fantastic, yet another change. It has been two years of ongoing change for children. They have lost a lot. We have made significant changes to how our children socialise, how they play, how they interact. And it would be naive as a society to think that that won't have a significant impact on some children more than others, general well-being and socialisation. Uh,
Gord McLaughlin, what do you make around this? Um, you know, we know that the figures for five to 12 year olds, that the numbers are, are high in that age group and the government are saying they're doing this because of the high community transmission. Um, do you agree that the mask wearing is a good idea um, and in general about the, the restrictions for children in the coming weeks? Well, it's exasperating because we've gone overnight from the schools being so safe that you didn't require contact tracing to know that children uh, have to wear masks. Uh, uh, like, uh, the, the schools returned uh, with no mitigation measures. If you look at filtration systems, you know, teachers, parents have been calling out for them for, for, for months now uh, and that hasn't been addressed. Uh, and, and, and just that whole issue of contact tracing, that the HSE, uh, the public health bodies were removed from that whole area. Uh, and, 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 you know, there was all sorts of evidence that there was going to be issues that would arise from that. And here we are okay. uh, in, in this place. So uh, the, I would have real concerns, um, obviously, for children as part of their development. Facial uh, expressions are a key part of learning, uh, of interaction. So it's a, it's a, it's a massive so, challenge. And I think it so was So what does Sinn Féin think? Are they, are they in agreement on mask wearing for nine years and up? Or do they think it's a step Oh, oh I think there has to be real clarity from government. I mean, there's children who obviously will have special needs. There's children who will have general... Uh, Genuine health issues, uh, you know. It's but not the, going to apply. Not I think to, to children in those the, circumstances. Yeah, the, the real the real solution here is to reinstate proper contact tracing, led up by the appropriate public health uh, bodies to do that, and uh, the you know the, the whole uh, uh, PEPA inf uh, filtration systems that needs to be put in place in every class, and that hasn't happened. There's been just an abysmal failure uh, in dealing with the demands. So is, is, mas from... is masking? Do you think part of the answer though? Well, no, no, but we, we shouldn't have come to this. You know, we, this shouldn't have. It's, I mean, the, the, the exasperation that we have. Like, if you look at the health services, right, in the, in the budget this year, no additional acute inpatient beds, no additional community okay. beds. So you knew that you were going to have a crisis in your health service. So at every level around you, you're looking at a lack of planning, a lack of uh, coordination that leaves you with, I think, measures that are deeply regrettable, particularly children okay. where a mass of that age is deeply regrettable. Okay. Is, is embarking on a measure like this, Minister, an acceptance that there's been a failure uh, no, it's, because it's, the mask wearing has been brought yeah. up for months now, no. and the government has always said no, no, it's not good for a child's development, yeah. for their ability to communicate within the classroom, and even how it will work and will it will it actually succeed in doing what it's supposed to do. No, it's it's not a representation of failure. It's a reflection of the reality in terms of the evolution of of, of COVID, and we've seen how that's evolved significantly that over time. That schools aren't safe. Well, we've, we've seen how it, uh, children were, among, were the least infected earlier on in the pandemic. Um, that has evolved now to the situation where they are among the most infected. So that, that's a very significant change. We saw, going back a number of weeks ago, whereby the public health advice at that stage was that there was a need to, we could discontinue the contact tracing because it was showing up very, very little. Con the actual evidence was showing that up. That's why that step was taken. The, the evolution of the, of the COVID has changed and therefore public health advice is changing here as well. I think Joanna made, well, first First of all, I think in relation to Parik's point, I don't think it's f fair to say there's a has been mitigation schools. Schools and staff and principals have gone to massive effort both inside yeah, the classroom. We've, we've heard the effort but I think, I think, yeah, so, But I think in relation to Joanna's point, it makes eminent sense there in relation to how we work with children to adjust this. And I know principals and teachers and parents understand that better than everyone. A day everyone. to do it. No, no, there, there's going to be a, a capacity there to 
to adjust to this, oh, and that's really important. There'll be a few important. days leeway before I mean, the, and I the think medical teachers, parents, and, and principals are really okay. aware of what you want to say. Just on the broader issue, because we're told for the next couple of weeks to cut down on all yeah. those social interactions. It's a really busy time of year for families. There's lots of things going on. Um, the panto season being one, but even for kids, you know, who wouldn't be going to things like that. There's nativity plays, and there's all sorts of get-togethers, not least birthday parties, and and family gatherings. And and children are being told no, you know cut it down um, what sort of impact will that have on kids do you think yeah, and, and I, when I, you're balancing public health versus um, you know ch a child's development and look, think? public health guidelines have to take precedence it's about keeping us all safe but it's about delivering that message to children in an accessible way that you know the people who make decisions about keeping us safe they really need your help as well now and this is what's being asked but I think it, instead of talking to our children just about what they're not able to do that we can say there we won't be able to have people over or whatever it might be but look what we can do we can go for a big walk together we can decorate the house we can make our cards redirecting it in a positive reframing that's not to minimise or dismiss, but it's to help a child, re especially the younger children, redirect and refocus. There's a lot of talk about, you know, this two weeks, this couple of weeks. We have to be realistic here. Children have made massive sacrifices and been restricted for two years now. This isn't just one or two birthday parties in the coming weeks. There are children who've never had a birthday party. So I think we have to come at this with a high degree of empathy. There's a lot of talk about resilience. Remember, resilience only exists when our, our resources to cope outweigh the stressors we're dealing with. So we need to focus on building up our children and giving them all of the play opportunities we can do. Because actually I feel very strongly we need to protect play for our children. It is their language, it's how they experience okay. the world and express themselves. And it takes absolute paramount in their development. Okay, well, we'll have to leave that discussion there. My thanks to the panel for joining us. Coming up after the break, actor Paul Byron will be here as he returns to the stage for panto season. Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, Panto or Playdates, the government has said that parents should aim to reduce socialisation indoors of children aged 12 and under for the next two weeks as part of efforts to stem the spread of COVID-19 in the community. Well, our reporter, Nicole Gernon, has been at the Gaiety Theatre tonight to gather parents' views on the Panto. We haven't been anywhere. They're literally in school, home, doing their outdoor sports and that's it. So, no, we knew it was safe. We wore masks the whole time. Um, the children um, sat in their seats and, yeah, no, it was excellent. But it was very well organised. Especially with them saying um, about going to the panto but no children. It doesn't make sense. It's a kids' show, so, uh, yeah, it was really, really safe and uh, everything was checked, which brilliant. is great. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, brilliant. And it was a lovely show. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely, yeah, fabulous. Did you, did you have any second thoughts about coming after all no. the... Everybody wearing a mask, everyone behaving themselves. Where it should be. And will you cut down on your other nights out now? Is this oh, we're finished now, that's it. Christmas done. Well, just said no small parties now. We've had our night out this week and then it's. Uh, it's that's it, that's so you'll just you cut have down. You to look after bit. yourselves, you know. Yeah. I thought it was good because everyone had like their own like seats to sit in and they were, the staff were really good with COVID and everything and it was really controlled, it was really good. Bit of, bit of kind of vibe, a little spirit. You need that, you know. I know the supporting community is also important in terms of, you know, so. Good balance. What do you love? A panto. And why do you love it? Because you get these. 
Well, joining me now in studio is singer and actor Paul Byram and consumer journalist Sinead Ryan. You can see those happy faces tonight. They all headed mm. along to the Panto and had a great time. And now the government messaging is, well, choose, choose what you do. So choose the playdates or choose the Panto. Mm. Um, from your point of view, Paul, you are in the Helix um, playing the Wicked Warlock, I think, in, in, yeah. <laughs> in uh, the Little, Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of, of that messaging and, and what it means uh, for Panto season and for you as an actor on stage? You know, it was, it was an interesting one because we opened up uh, at the weekend and we were very excited and delighted. And the, the rehearsals have been fantastic. We've all been taking such serious precautions throughout rehearsal to make sure that COVID doesn't get in the door. Um, and we were all just so excited to get back to work. We are so excited to get back to work. And then we celebrated on Sunday night. I've had a few drinks after the show, you know, because we were up and running. Mm. And then you wake up on Monday morning and you hear that Panto is okay to go to, but just don't bring the kids. And we're like, what? Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little... A little disappointing initially to hear that, but then on reflection, you know, you have to think about what is actually been said here. And, it, and it, there is an element where they're saying, just choose what events you're going to. Um, our panda was up and running. It's extremely safe. Yeah. There's antigen tests. Uh, sorry, there's, there's COVID cert checking at the door. Uh, you wear masks. You're sitting in a seat. Mm. Uh, it's all very uh, safe as far as I can see. As far as I'm mm. aware, we're taking huge precautions. Uh, to make it work, to make it an enjoyable evening. And the kids seem to be loving it. And to hear the kids laughing and to see families out again, that for us, it transcends onto the stage. Even with the masks, yeah. that message is getting up, that people are happy. The ticket sales have been flying out the door because people are so excited to get back out yeah, and get into That's what I wanted again. to ask you about ticket sales. So we got that message on Monday, Kate, time for decision-making mm. here because mm. the idea of going to the Panto and then meeting up with family, friends and other things is not such a good idea currently. So what did that mean? Uh, I mean, have you seen people ring up saying, look, we want to cancel that booking? We have a big outing. Well, and, so I... And have you, has that been happening? Well, I, so I'm, not, I'm obviously not working the box office, so I don't know. But um, I, I know for myself, I'm doing a concert in Dublin uh, before Christmas. And I've had no messages from anybody looking to see if they'll cancel. What I have been getting is a lot of direct messages on Instagram and Twitter from parents uh, and families saying that this is nonsense and they're looking forward to the panto and they're going no matter what. That's the messages I've been getting. And so if that is a case where playdates, which let me tell you, in my day there was no playdates. You went out into the green in the front and you played outside. Um, so maybe that's it. That's just the case where you go to school and then you know that this week we're going to the panto so that means you can't call over to Johnny and Mary's because if not, mommy and daddy are going to the panto and you're staying okay. at home with a babysitter. All right, okay. That's a, probably a good way to explain it to kids because we were asking Joanna Fortune, how do you do that in the previous part of the show? But just on this, Sinead, around your rights. So say you have made a decision or you're uncomfortable with all this public health messaging about what you should and shouldn't do and you decide, you know what, we booked those tickets ages ago. We were so looking forward to it, but I don't think now is the time to go. What rights do you have? To cancel? Uh, well, none, really. I mean, none to cancel and get your money back. Uh, now, that said, there, there is this distinction, as we've learned throughout the last two years, that if an event goes ahead or a flight goes ahead or, a, you know, something goes ahead and you are not in it, you're not there and you bought a ticket, you don't have any right of refund. If you, if you cancel, if they cancel or it is cancelled by government, well, then that's a different matter altogether. Now, that said, Claire. There are a lot of promoters and theatres and people in the arts who understand the importance of goodwill and customer service mm. and 
most of them will be very happy to refund tickets. Um, and one hopes that that will pertain even for an industry, let's face it, that has precious little funds to mm. do so. And it, it would be very, very hard on both parties if that were to go It's ahead. very important money at this time of year for this sector, which has been so badly affected over the last couple of years. It really has been. And, and here's the kicker on it, because under consumer rights, normally if you buy anything online, a, a, a service or a goods online, you have a 14 day cooling off period and you get your money back, no problem. You know, we've saw, saw it with Black Friday, we'll see it with Christmas presents, but tickets are specifically excluded from that legislation. Um, and that's why we will, you know, customers and parents will be dependent on the goodwill of theatres and of booking companies and of, uh, on, uh, of promoters. Um, un unless the government steps in and says, right, we are shutting the theatres again. And, and nobody wants to see that. So, so it's a, a rock and a hard place, really. You shut the theatres again, just to be very clear on this, it will bring down our industry. Our industry is already on its knees. It has had the most horrific two years that has ever been experienced with very little support. Our Minister for Arts, Catherine Martin, has been very quiet the last 24 hours, 48. Where is she? What's her statement? We need to hear from her. We don't have the Vintners Association's kind of unions and spokespersons. Mm. Catherine Martin's supposed to have our back. Now is the time to step up okay, and back so you'd us. you'd expect something more than what's been delivered this week from Absolutely. Government. Absolutely. A lot more needs to be done. A lot more needs to be done for the arts in, in by and large. This, the way we've been treated throughout this whole pandemic has been horrendous. Horrendous. We're the last people to have got looked after. And we're the last business to return. And now we're the first to, to, to shut yeah. down. If they're going to shut down Panthers, I expect they'll be shutting down the churches and the synagogues and the mosques. And they'll be shutting down the cinemas. Because it can't be one rule for the arts mm. and one rule for the rest. And just like to end it on a positive note, after a silent 2020, if you like, what mm. is it like to be back up on stage and hear kids' laughter and, 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 you know, perform to a full house? It's very hard to put into words. For people like us that are performers, it's who we are. It's not what we do. It's who we are. We love it. We live for it. You take that away from us, we've nothing. Right, OK. And, and I can see the emotion there, Paul, mm. after a very difficult couple of yeah. years. You should come out to our cast and meet the cast and see how excited everybody is to be involved, to see kids, to see the atmosphere, to feel that atmosphere and to be on stage and to see families happy again and for us to be delivering. That's all we want to do. Let's figure out how to make that happen. OK, there we'll have to leave it for tonight. That is it from us. My thanks to Paul and to Sinead for joining us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.